Have you ever had those times in life where it seems like one day or one moment you're at the greatest high that maybe you've ever experienced and then in another time you seem to find yourself at the greatest low? There's been a change in situation that greatly affects you. Can you imagine almost 2,000 years ago this week being the Passover week? Can you imagine how excited Jews would be to come in to celebrate to them what was one of the greatest holy weeks that they would celebrate, the great Passover? And can you imagine especially the ones that came in with Jesus? Because when Jesus entered, it was unlike any other Passover that they had been a part of. You see, they literally hailed Jesus as king. So now it's the great Passover week, but it's also the one that we're following. All of the Jews are gathering around, or at least so it seemed that way. They were laying down palm leaves. They were hailing him king. Oh, they just couldn't seem to say enough good about Jesus. But on that Thursday night when they celebrated the Passover with Jesus, Jesus began to warn them of things that was going to become very difficult. You remember that's also the time where he instituted the Lord's Supper that we're about to take in just a moment. But it was also on that very same evening where he warned Peter. He said, oh, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows in the morning. Wow, what a swing. From going to thinking, could things get any better than this? Then what? Why would I deny you? But you remember that night, Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane and coming out of that garden, he was arrested. If you would look in John the 18th chapter, I'd like for us to read a few passages about Peter. And as we read this, I'd like for you to think, can you identify with this? Have you ever had times in your life where you just did what you didn't think you'd ever do? You'd become what you didn't think you'd ever become and you'd disappoint yourself. In John the 18th chapter and verse 15, John 18 and verse 15, and Simon Peter followed Jesus. This is after Jesus' arrest. And so did another disciple, that'd be John. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. The other disciples who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, you're not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. See the fear? He's watched Jesus be arrested and now if I identify myself with him, will I also be arrested? the persecution and the trial that he's about to go through. I could relieve myself of that persecution if I just do not speak up, if I do not stand with him. Oh, you want to know if I'm with him? No, 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 I, I'm not with him at all. Look at verse 18. The servants and the officers who made a fire of coal stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Now he's encamped, if you will, with those that have arrested Jesus and he's warming himself intentionally now making himself look more like them instead of more like Jesus. Now let's skip down to 25. When Simon Peter stood and warmed himself, therefore they said to him, you're not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I'm not. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Can you imagine that? You remember Peter cut off Malchus' ear. You remember Jesus healed it miraculously. 
And you can imagine one of his relatives says, wait a minute, looking across the fire, I've seen you. As a matter of fact, I saw you tonight. I saw you with him, with a sword. You're the one that hurt my relative. And notice what he said there, 27, Peter then denied again and immediately the rooster crowed. Now, can you imagine how Peter felt at that time that he heard the rooster crow and he remembered just a few hours earlier that night, Jesus had said, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows, and he did. You see, that night, not only for Peter, but for so many, it would have seemed like a very helpless and hopeless night. The one they loved had been arrested and what they were going to find out the next day was that he was going to be crucified. But it was that night that we read in Luke 22 and 62, so Peter went out and wept bitterly. He had the great pain that he experienced in the weeping for what he had done to Jesus. But I want to remind you of Mark 14 and verse 50 where it simply says... Then they all forsook him and fled. I find myself in that statement. Do you? There have been times in my life where I wish I would have not allowed embarrassment to cause me to not stand up for the Lord. There's times probably in all of our lives where we've let situations weigh heavy upon us. And instead of simply standing as a Christian, we began to take on things through a fleshly nature. Perhaps we've allowed people, maybe people at work, maybe people in our home, maybe people that we've grown up with and have been good friends for years, perhaps we've allowed them to place us in a situation where we had to make a choice and we chose the people instead of God. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't know him. I'll stand with you. I'll warm around the fire with you. I don't need to do his will right now. It's interesting that that phrase right there was describing what the apostles did that night when Jesus was arrested. They forsook him and they all fled. But it's interesting how in a sense that's prophetic of all of us that seek to serve the Lord. We're just not perfect. We just do not always stand the way we ought to stand. Now that doesn't justify it and that doesn't make it all right. But it's that reality that sometime we have Thursday nights and we have Fridays like Peter's Thursday night and Friday. And isn't it wonderful to know in the midst of all of that that Sunday is coming. That great day of resurrection is coming. But I want you to think briefly with me for just a moment. We've seen this from Peter's standpoint, but think with me for just a moment from Jesus' standpoint. The word that comes to my mind is excruciating. You see, the word excruciating has its roots in 16th century from a Latin word which means of the cross. You see, that C-R-U-C in the word excruciating deals with the cross. And so there is, there is a pain that comes from being tormented and tortured, especially of crucifixion. And so we get that word excruciating and we think, Jesus, what was it like for you? And I don't know if that word does it justice, 
But the idea of that word is for Jesus, the crucifixion was excruciating. We know that he went to the garden of Gethsemane and we know from Hebrews, the fifth chapter that he cried and he shed tears and he literally let out vehement cries. In other words, if you and I would have been in the garden that night and we would have heard it, we would have probably sincerely thought someone is being attacked over there. Someone is being injured over there. Why? Because Jesus knew what was coming and it was excruciating. And we know from there he was arrested. And we know from there they had an illegal court at night. We know that they begin to pluck his beard. We know that in the process that they hit him and they spit upon him. And then finally, we simply read this in John 19 and 17. And he, bearing his cross, went out to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Jesus met this cross first being scourged. Can you imagine what it's like to have your arms bound up and probably fastened with maybe a cross member across your waist and then your arms tied to a post to tighten your back? And then a bull whip 39 times where the stone or the rock or the bone that was sharp tied onto the leather would rip the back open or the thorns. The thorns pressed into his brow. His back would have been raw. His head would have been bleeding from the thorns. His beard would have been bleeding where he'd been plucked out. We don't know the bruises that the men made as they struck him in the face and mocked him and said, prophesy, tell me who did that. But we also know that when he met the cross, nails or spikes through the hands and through the feet held him there. Our Lord was bloody from head to toe. He was and he is the great Passover lamb. The earth became dark as he hung on the cross. He hung there for six hours. Eventually, the rock shook in the earth. The veil in the temple rent from top to bottom. Even some that were dead resurrected out of their tombs. Truly, an event that would shape the rest of human history was taking place. You see, to all that were watching, it would be very easy to assume that wickedness and evil had won. It'd be easy to assume that death has had its victory. It'd be easy to assume that Jesus Christ had lost. But instead, I would remind you that our Jesus knew on that Friday, that Sunday was coming. He knew that there was hope. Lo, in the grave he lay, Jesus. 
Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can come and pray. And thank you for your son that died on the cross on our behalf, that we have a chance of hope to be with you in heaven one day. At this time, we take this bread that represents his body. Be with us always and help us remember correctly. In Christ's name, amen. Dear Heavenly Father, as we continue our remembrance of that cruel day, Father, we're mindful of the great sacrifice that, that your blood shed for our sins. And Father, we remember today and we rejoice today and we thank you for that sacrifice, Father, for we have hope of eternal life through it. Father, we pray that this remembrance is pleasing to your sight and that our worship is pleasing to your ears, for it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you, Lord, for loving me, and thank you, Lord, for blessing me. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole and saving my together the Lord to thank you for everything you've given us because we know everything we have is a gift from you. We pray Lord that we always remember that and don't take it for granted. We pray Lord that the funds will be used in a way to further your word and in accordance with your will. Be with us always and thank you again. In Christ's name, amen.
to consider some of the blessings that God has given to us as we think about how we can give back to Him. And uh, this week we rejoice over the good news that Ben Vongsimpan and his family are rejoicing because he became a Christian this past week. He was baptized into Christ last Sunday morning. Ben, if you're here, would you stand so everybody can see who you are? There he is. Ben, we're so proud of you. Uh, thankful you're a part of the, the family of God and uh, so excited that you've made that decision. And so wonderful news to celebrate. Let's sing a song of praise. Following this song, we'll have a prayer, then our scripture reading, and then we'll have uh, David come up again. Let's sing this song together. Lord, the light of your love is shining in the midst of the dark, this shining Jesus light of the world shine upon us, set us free by the truth, you now bring us shine on me, shine on me, shine Jesus shine. before you today and we thank you for just such a wonderful wonderful day uh, a special time to the Smither family to thank our family from years past time to uh, just get together with loved ones but more importantly time to remember what happened so many years ago your son who uh, your son who gave his life was born again raised again from the dead uh, all for us God uh, so we may be saved we're so thankful for this. Uh, we get up this morning, we come to probably the safest place we'll be all day, uh, realizing there's so many out there who, who aren't as blessed as we are. We pray that you especially be with our brothers and sisters who are in such hostile situations. You take care of them. And we just have faith you are, God. Please help us to go out every day and do the best we can to be a good influence in others, to glorify your name, uh, to move stronger and closer to you, and help those as well who aren't. Uh, we pray that you be with uh, Brother David today and the teachers in our class as we, as we learn more about you, as we talk about you, as we try to grow close to you and learn how we should uh, be and, and live and just, just glorify your name, God. We thank you again for this beautiful day. We pray that you got us and watch over us and be with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The Bible reading this morning is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16, 17, and 18, and it's found in the Pew Bible on page 1027. If you'd like to get a Pew Bible and turn there and read with me at this time. 
Therefore, we, not, we do not lose heart. Even through our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affections, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceedingly and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are, are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What a beautiful phrase. Therefore, we do not lose heart. We've already studied this morning that there was a time in Peter's life where he lost heart. There was a time where he denied and where he disappointed his own self and went out and, and wept bitterly. But yet that Sunday was a huge turning point. Have you ever seen someone who was very unsuccessful and then later on in life you meet them and they're very successful and you wonder yourself, I wonder what the turning point was. Have you ever seen someone that was maybe really, really out of shape and then later you hear they're running a triathlon you think, I wonder what the turning point was. What was it for Peter that he went from, from denying the Lord and going out and, and weeping bitterly to then we see in Acts the second chapter, he's the one standing up and he is preaching about the resurrected Lord and he's inviting the Jews to become a part of Christianity. Where was the turning point? If you would, I'd like for you to turn your Bibles to 1 Peter, the first chapter in verse 3. I'd like for us to see what Peter refers to as the turning point. 1 Peter 1 in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, notice this, has begotten us again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Friends, we don't have to guess. When we wonder, what was it in Peter's life that made such a turning point? Peter would say, yes, there was a time where I lost hope and there was a time where hope was again revived in me. Peter, when was that hope revived again? And he would say, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine running to the tomb of Jesus on that Sunday morning? You see, the women had gone there first. And they ran back when they found it empty and they told Peter and John and the others that they found it empty. Peter and John literally ran, physically ran to the tomb. And you can imagine what's going through their mind. Has his body been stolen? Is he really alive? And later on, they're going to see the resurrected Lord. And Thomas is even going to be able to touch the, the prints where the nails had been and even put his hand in the side of Jesus that had been cut open. In other words, they're going to see, they're going to know that Jesus Christ is alive. Their Sunday came. They had gone through a horrible Friday, a horrible Thursday, probably a horrible Saturday, but their Sunday had come. And you know what we see after that? We see men that were ready to stand strong for the Lord no matter what the cost. You see, while Jesus was willing to go through the crucifixion, remember that word excruciating? 
they too were willing to go through any torment and pain. I'd like for you to notice in Acts the first chapter, the resurrected Lord is about to ascend into heaven. And in Acts 1 and verse 8, this is what he says to them. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And that word witness is the same word in the Greek for martyr. In other words, you're going to be willing to die for the cause of the gospel just like I was willing to die to create the gospel, Jesus was saying. So Peter, instead of denying, thinking, I, I can't identify myself with Jesus, something might happen to me, now it's prophesied by Jesus, you're going to be a witness. Not only are you going to speak up for me, you'll speak up for me even if it means your death. And the best we know, all the apostles except one died the death of a martyr. He literally prophesied and they fulfilled in their faith that willingness to give all for the cause. In Acts the fourth chapter, we see that Peter and John were arrested. They were brought before the same council that not that many days before had crucified Jesus. Let that sink in. The same council that crucified Jesus, Peter and John's brought before them. And look in Acts 4 and verse 3. They laid hands on them. They put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Verse 17. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in his name. Skip down to verse 21. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what he had done. What do you think they're going to do in a time like this? There have been times in Peter's past where if he would have been threatened like this, severely threatened, he would have said, no, no, I don't know him. No, no, I'm not one of his. Cursing and swearing, I don't know him. But notice what they did this time. If you have your Bibles, look over to the fourth chapter. Skip down a little further to verse 23. Acts 4 and 23. And being let go, they went to their own companions. In other words, they went back to the church where the church was gathering and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So when they heard this, they raised their voice to God with one accord and they said, Lord, listen to this prayer. You are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in it. Skip down to 27. For truly against your holy servants, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that which with all boldness, they may speak your word. What should our prayer be for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine? What should our prayer be for those in Nigeria? What should our prayer be for those no matter where they are, if it's South Sudan, it doesn't matter where it is that Christians are suffering what should our prayer be for the ones in this room that feels like the financial stress is snowballing out of control? What should our prayer be for those that feel like their relationships are becoming broken and, and they feel like their life is falling apart? What should our prayer be for those today that are feeling like when I go to work on Monday, I'm not going to be able to live as a Christian because the pressure's too great. I'm not going to be able to go to school and live as a Christian because the prayer is too great. What should our prayer be? 
That's why we set our alarm for 429. Our prayer should be that we always have boldness to stand and speak the word of God. Listen, I'm not suggesting to you that it's wrong to pray for us to have peace. I'm just saying to you that you don't find that kind of prayer in the New Testament. What you find in the New Testament is not prayers that the persecution would cease because keep in mind, the very beginning of Christianity was her leader was crucified. And he came, according to Peter, to suffer so that we, as disciples of his, could walk in his steps. He stood, timeline, before the cross and said, the world hates me, they're going to hate you also. And so it's just not really exactly reasonable to pray, Lord, I want all persecution to stop when the world is always going to be an enemy of Christ and Christianity. So what would the greater and the biblical prayer be? Lord, give me boldness to stand with you Boldness to speak for you, no matter what I endure this week. What a beautiful prayer. Skip down to verse 31 and notice this is continued. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. Their prayer was answered. Their prayer was answered. Their prayer was not did you notice how that was absent? Their prayer was not, Lord, please make this persecution cease. Their prayer was, Lord, give us the boldness that we will not stop. So they began their prayer in praise. God, you're the one that made everything. They continued their prayer with the providential care of God. Lord, we know that it was by your hand that the Jews and the Gentiles crucified Jesus. Because remember, Jesus said, no man takes my life, I give it is the providential hand of God. We just read that just a moment ago. And then thirdly, the prayer was our purpose, our purpose to stand boldly for the cause of Christ. How was this summarized? We could read literally passages all throughout the rest of the New Testament, but let's skip down to Acts the fifth chapter and notice these same individuals and notice how they looked at difficult times. Acts 5 and 41, so they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Isn't that amazing? I'm not there yet. But I've been praying about that a lot lately. And it kind of broke my heart that when across the brotherhood, we were asked to pray for those that were persecuted this morning. Not any information that we were given asked us to pray for those individuals to have boldness so that the church could grow in the midst of this persecution. And yet that is the one biblical example we have. I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus to say that. I'm talking to me and I'm talking to you. If our idea is, if I go to work tomorrow and it's difficult, I'm going to pray for God to make sure the difficulty is removed. I assure you, God is much more likely to give you strength to persevere than to remove the difficulty. That's just the way God's always worked. 
The idea that God's going to create some kind of world where there is no persecution of Christians around the world, that's not going to exist. But from the very beginning of Jesus Christ dying on the cross Friday, Sunday, he's alive. Sunday and the rest, Peter and the others are saying, we believe in the resurrection. You do whatever you need to do to us now, but you won't take our soul because we believe in that final day of resurrection. Whoever it is in your life that's going to mock you and embarrass you and etc., you just remember this. Unless you give it to them, they can't take your soul. They can have your life. They can have your possessions. And none of that really matters when we compare it to the soul. We're going to close with the scripture that was just capably read. And I want you to think about all that. Paul is going to write about this. And, and look at this again in 2 Corinthians 4 and the lesson's yours. Think about this now. This is powerful. This is, this is a good summary to the book of Acts and all the persecution they endured. Therefore, we do not lose heart. How about if all of us would be able to say that at the end of this next week? We live for the Lord faithful all week. Didn't matter what the stress, didn't matter what the persecution, didn't matter what the hardship, I didn't lose sight of my God. I did not lose heart. Now notice the rest of this. Even though our outward man is perishing, this is following 15 verses talking about persecution. Hey, you can really damage me physically. World, I give you credit for that. You can do it. You can create stress. You can create hardships. You can physically persecute me. But notice the rest of this. The inward man is being renewed. That heart and mind and soul that is devoted to God, it's just getting stronger all the time. For our light affliction, pause there. Whatever you're going through, if you don't compare it to anything out of this world, it feels heavy, doesn't it? When you're going through something on Monday and all you're thinking about is Monday, it feels really heavy. When you're going through something in a friendship or a marriage and all you think about is that friendship or that marriage, it feels really heavy, doesn't it? If you're going through something financially and it feels like it's snowballing out of control and all you think about that is it feels really heavy, doesn't it? How can all of these things seem light? Notice the rest of this. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and what? Eternal weight of glory. So we do not look at things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. The things which are not seen are eternal. You see what he's doing here? He says, whatever you see right now in your life you're dealing with is temporary. And it's going to feel real heavy unless you look down the road and you compare it to an eternal glory with God. What's it going to be like to look your Savior in the eye on the day of judgment and be able to sincerely say to him, Lord, you know and I know I'm not perfect, but you know that I laid down my life for you. You know that I put you first. You know that I lived for this glory that is to come. That makes this affliction today seem awful lighter. It makes it easier to bear because we know that no one and no situation can take away our eternal weight of glory 
that is waiting for us. The only reason that it's waiting for us is because Christ loves you so much that he died for you. I hope you realize the great hope that is in the empty tomb and the living Lord. There is a great day coming, a great day coming. There is a resurrection. And all of this now, remain faithful with him. Do not lose heart and it shall come. This morning, can we help you not lose heart? Can we help you live for the eternal weight of glory? Can we help you this morning in your mind's eye see the resurrected Lord that went through a horrible Thursday and a horrible Friday and a horrible Saturday, but he knew, he knew Sunday was coming. And when all of his disciples realized what Sunday was about, that was a turning point in their faith. And if you and I realize that today, it could be a turning point in our faith too. If you're ready to be immersed into Christ for the remission of your sins or you're ready to be restored, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand.